I live up in Youngsville, so coming in this morning was a little bit of a skate trip, but I, I, I get over off the side roads onto Capitol Boulevard and I go by a Waffle House and I notice that Waffle House is open in Youngsville. And I just figure, if Waffle House is open, the church ought to be open, right? So, so here we are. Um, able to worship God today, I hope, I hope in a joyful way to you. And I realize that because there's no children's ministries, there may be some people in the room who have a little shorter attention spans than normal. So kids, if your parents get restless, you can take them out to the lobby. And we have sound in the lobby so they can get coffee and come back. Um, so there's this young guy at a construction site. He's really strong. He knows he's really strong. He's bragging to everybody how strong he is. He's challenging everybody to any feat of strength, saying that he cannot do them. And he's particularly picking on one older worker who's obviously in his decline in terms of his strength. And finally, the older construction worker's had enough, and he says, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? He said, I will bet you a week's wages that I can haul something in a wheelbarrow or that building that you won't be able to bring back. And the young man says, you're on, old man. Bring it. The old man reached out and grabbed the wheelbarrow by the handles and turned to the young man and he says, all right, son, get in. <laughs> Some of you are thinking about that and you'll get it on the way. As followers of Christ, Scripture really prohibits that. But I figure bragging about family, that's okay, right? Like, parents, if you're bragging about your kids, that's okay. Like, I have this wall, and you come to my office, I have this thing called the Wall of Fame. And it's newspaper clippings of my kids' accomplishments up in Franklin County in the Franklin Times up there that they've posted over the years. They're all over my you walk by my office, you'll, you'll see him. And, and I figure uh, it's a good thing to brag about your wife, guys, right? Brag up your wife when you, when you get a chance. Uh, I spoke in here uh, last week to our Mothers of Preschool Ministry and was uh, bragging about my wife uh, to them while I was there, my wife, Steph. And I, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's okay to brag about your dad, too. Right, dads? Isn't it good to be bragged about? Kids, it's okay to brag about your, your dad. Um, and so today, I want to take a little bit of time. I want, I want to brag to you about my dad. Um, this is my dad, Lawrence. Uh, he's gone to be with the Lord, but this is him with my older brother. Uh, it's a picture taken probably, near as I can tell, about 1947. My brother's way older than me, like way, way older than me. <laughs> My dad, he grew up on a little farm in, in southern Illinois, uh, no indoor plumbing. Uh, he, he moved up to the, to the Midwest following work, or the middle of the state following work. Eventually went to World War II, uh, enlisted the Air Force, served in the Pacific, served on Iwo Jima. Um, the Gilberts, some other places like that. 
came back here, my mom uh, started a small business, auto repair, business paint and body shop with my Uncle Dick, and uh, was a success, successful businessman. Ran that business pretty much all of his life. Uh, war veteran, uh, one time president of the, of the little town where I lived, our, our businessmen's club, he was the president of the PTA, member of the town board. One time he was president of the church council. I was really blessed. My dad was a, was a good man, um, but he was not a perfect man. He was a good man, but he was not a perfect man. And so I choose to remember and celebrate the good about my dad. Even with a good dad like my dad, it is kind of pick and choose. And I choose the good. That's what I remember. That's what I celebrate uh, about my dad. Because it wasn't all good. For instance, uh, I inherited from my dad a bit of a temper. Uh, like I could blame my dad for that. But let's just say, I have a temper and an impatient streak that's a lot like my dad. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so you know, when I brag about my dad, it's pick and choose, right? Because he's a, he's a good man, but, but not a perfect man. And so, when I talk to you about bragging about my dad today, this is not the dad that I want to brag to you about. Every believer in Jesus Christ has two dads, an earthly father and a, and a heavenly father. And in the sense of, of pick and choose about what's good and what's not, I suppose you could say that our father is not like our father in that regard. In fact, Jesus says that our Heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says you must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And so today, I just want to brag to you about my Heavenly Father and yours. I want to show you what an awesome privilege it is that we get to love a God who relates to us as Father. And I'm going to do that based on Jesus' teaching about him in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, uh, Matthew, we'll start in Matthew 7, we'll be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 today. But if you'll open up to Matthew chapter 7, that's where we'll start, and I'll, I'll pray for our time in the Word to do that. Our Father, what an awesome privilege, Lord God, that we can come before you and speak to you with those terms. Our Father. Jesus said, Our Father. An awesome, undeserved, delightful privilege. And so I pray today that through the teaching of your Son and by the good work of your Spirit, we might love you more because we get to call you Father. And so use your word now towards that end. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's been rightly called the greatest sermon ever. And it's only three chapters in your, in your Bible, but it, uh, it really is, gets at the heart of what Jesus is calling us to be and do as followers of his. And one of the things that's really evident is that Jesus wants you and me to know God as our Father. In, this, in the, those three short chapters, 15 times, Jesus refers to God as Father. 
And uh, I'd like to look at, look at a couple of those or a few of those today together in the time that we have. But this idea of, of calling God Father and addressing Him as our Father has fallen in disfavor um, amongst some in our day. And uh, here's, a, here's an example from uh, some people wanting, couldn't we just call Him Mother instead? And so their answer is, um, no, we don't have to call God Father. And this is their rationale. Current statistics indicate that nationally one in four women have been abused by, abused by a male figure, and many, many women and men have been abused by their father. Although the image of God as Heavenly Father is meant to indicate the ideal father figure, for some, any reference to father brings an involuntary cringe deep inside and erupts feelings of revulsion. So no, we don't have to call God Father. And it seems to me to worship, seems to me worship leaders and prayer leaders should refrain from that particular image in public worship. And uh, I, I just like to say, I, there's a sense in which I think they're absolutely right. We don't have to call God Father. We get to call God Father. It is one of the most amazing privileges uh, that we have as believers in Jesus. You know, Jesus, Jesus referred to God over 150 times as his father. And he spoke to him as being our father over 30 times in his teaching and ministry. We, we lay that aside at, to our peril. And I, I love the way Michael Reeves puts it in his, his book about the Trinity. He says that Jesus tells us explicitly in John 17... Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. He says, God revealed by Jesus Christ in this way, before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. Since God is before all things a father, and not primarily creator or ruler, and all his ways are beautifully fatherly, it is not that this God does being father as a day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It is not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father all the way down. Thus, all that he does, he does as our good, loving, heavenly father. J.I. Packer is one of our great, one of the great theologians of our day. Many of you have read his book, Knowing God, and were shaped by it. He says... If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So we don't want to lay aside the teaching of God as father. We, we want to cherish it. Now I'm mindful that Perhaps a number of you come from families where fathers were absent, or perhaps even abusive. And what about your situation when you do think of father, and it doesn't bring anything positive? And, and Jesus actually helps us with that in his Sermon on the Mount, in the very first passage we're going to look at. This is a good place for me to start bragging about my father. It's in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, and it reads like this. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, 
and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. But which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your Father in heaven give good gifts, good things, to those who ask you? See, the, the passage starts with the most amazing prayer promises that could be made to us. Ask and you will receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, you'll be But those are rooted in the superior goodness and presumed superior power of our Heavenly Father. Jesus is telling us, if you listen closely, He's telling us that He is better than all earthly fathers. Period. John Piper summarizes it this way. Jesus goes beyond the encouragement of merely saying that God is your Father. He says that God is always better than your earthly Father. Because all earthly fathers are evil and God is not. Jesus, he says, is very blunt and unfaltering here. This is a clear instance of Jesus' belief in the universal sinfulness of human beings. He assumes that his disciples are all evil. He doesn't choose a softer word like sinful or weak. He simply says the disciples are evil. Don't ever limit your understanding, he writes, of the fatherhood of God to your experience of your own father. Rather, take heart that God has none of the sins or limitations or weaknesses or hang-ups of your father. God is always better. In him there is no evil. Therefore, the argument is strong. If your earthly father gave you good things, or even if he didn't, how much more will your heavenly father give good things? Always good things to those who ask. See, our father, he is good and generous towards his children. This is the underlying premise to hopeful, even confident prayer. Our father, whom we pray to, is good and generous. <coughs> And so from this little passage that we just read, we learn that this is a father who is eager to be approached by his children. This is a father who's predictably good, yet good beyond what we deserve or anything we have ever experienced on the happiest occasions in the presence of our best earthly father. Uh, growing up uh, in the Midwest, I lived in a small town Pipe-wise, and I had an ailment for a while. I got a bike. Summer, and I, he went out a mini bike, four horsepower, front suspension. Man, I terrorized that neighborhood. We had like a little mini bike gang in that neighborhood. We were everywhere. Everybody's yards, there was a plow field behind the house. We were up and down, everywhere. You know, I was, uh, I was richly blessed. That's just one evidence uh, of the kindness of a good father towards me. And Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, your father 
in heaven is better than the best dad and his best name. He's more generous to you than any father has ever been, could ever be. He is always good and generous to his kids. He's able. This is not a, he's not a father who wishes he could do things for you. If only he had the means. No, he is able. In the language of Paul, able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Listen to that 11th verse again. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is telling you without qualification that you really can, you really should trust this Father. And in this case, he says, you really should keep on praying. Because this Father from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Listen, there is no variation to the change. Second reason Jesus gives us to brag, this is from chapter 5. The sermon on that, starting verse 43. Jesus, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We get the expression, like father, like son, here. That's the idea. So that you will be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on those, on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you done? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you... Greet only your brothers. What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, most pointedly, this call to Father-like perfection reflects the way He loves. If we're going to be like Him, we have to love Him. He even loves those who hate Him. Every sunrise, Jesus says, every rainfall is an expression of his unmerited, unrestricted love. And we are called to mirror this undeserved, perfect love, lavishing it even on our enemies. This is why Christians are called to love our enemies, because our Father does. I mean, you know, if your neighborhood is my, my neighborhood, my, my driveway is like the key sledding spot in the neighborhood. I have a gravel driveway. But if you get enough ice on it, it's irrelevant. And so you can go down the driveway and kind of next to the fence in the tree and miss the house and go over the steps past the bird feeder, miss the fire pit, and end up in the woods. And the whole neighborhood is out there doing that yesterday. Just, just love it. You know, everybody gets to enjoy that. Not just church folk. Everybody gets to enjoy that. Why does everybody get to enjoy that? Because the Father 
loves the world that way. He loves the whole world that way. Our dad, he's the most loving dad ever. He even loves those who reject him. He, he loved us when we were rebels, and he still loves rebels. The sunsets are for their joy as much as ours. The rainfall is for their lawns as much as ours. Our Father loves, he loves us. Loves us all. And he says, so should we. There's a lady named Heidi Newmark. Um, She's part of a Transfiguration Lutheran Church in the South Bronx, and she tells this story. She says, because of visitation to their homes, because of our open doors after school, neighborhood children kept coming to the church. Many came without parents. Some walked, some we picked up. And when I went to pick up Shanna for Sunday school one week, she was crying and had blood on her dress. It's my Uncle Joe, she said. I knew that her family was going through changes because of Uncle Joe and his drug addiction. Shanna had particular reason to feel bitter toward her uncle. For years, she had dreamed of owning a bicycle, and that Christmas, a donation from another church made her dream come true. Shanna rode her shiny new blue bike everywhere, bragged on it, polished it, treasured it, and within a month, her Uncle Joe had sold the bike to buy drugs. An ample reason to embitter a nine-year-old. Now on this morning, there was one reason more. Uncle Joe had come home that morning wearing a t-shirt that read, Say No to Drugs. And Shanna had said, unwisely, why don't you read your own shirt? And he hit her in the face, causing the nosebleed. The white collar and the yellow lace on her Sunday dress were a mess. Nothing else was clean, and everyone else was still asleep. So we went to church where her teacher washed out the bloodstain. And when it came time in the service for individual prayer requests, Shanna's voice sounded bright and clear as a trumpet. I pray for my Uncle Joe. He needs your help, Lord. Please, Jesus, help my uncle. Now, why would nine-year-old Shanna pray for her Uncle Joe? Why would she do such a loving thing to someone so undeserved? Because that's how her father was. That's how our father loved. Even us, he loves us perfectly and he wants us to pass it on. John Stott says, Jesus seems to have prayed for his tormentors actually while the iron spikes were being driven through his hands and feet. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayer for his enemies, what pain, pride, prejudice, or sloth could justify the silencing of ours? Our Father loves perfectly. And that's, that's my dad. I'm bragging about my dad. He loves me. He loves the world perfectly. Let's look at another one. Matthew 6. We've been in 7, we've been in 5. Let's look at 6. Matthew 6, starting verse 25. 
Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Jesus. There's a phrase that has hung around popular culture for uh, quite a while now. It's, it just goes like this, be afraid, be very afraid. And it, uh, it comes from the 1986 horror, horror flick, The Fly. The trick for us, though, is trying to figure out what should you be afraid of, right? What people commonly fear is not always what should cause that adrenaline spike. For instance, are you afraid to fly? You have a .00001% chance of dying in an airplane. On the other hand, the car insurance industry estimates that the average driver will be involved in three or four car crashes in their lifetime, and the odds of dying in a car crash are one to two percent. That's a hundred thousand times higher than by airplane. You're afraid of being hit by a bolt of lightning, maybe. The odds of that happening are one in 2.3 million. You're much more likely to be struck by a meteorite. Those lifetime odds are about one in 700,000. Some of you are afraid of dogs. You're out jogging, your greatest fear, dogs. Their bark, it says, really is worse than their bite. Your chance of suffering a dog bite is one in 137,694. On the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn is one in 3,623, which is 50 times higher than being bitten by a dog. How about sharks? Some of you won't go in the ocean. You're terrified of sharks. You're more likely, much more likely, to be killed by your spouse. <laughs> One in 135,000 of you are going to be killed by your spouse. Whereas only one in 300 million of you are going to be killed by a shark. So it's hard to know what to worry about, right? Should we worry about the drought? Should we worry about the norovirus? Should we worry about a terrorist attack? The stock market, the housing market, the job market, the supermarket. You got tainted salad, you got evil cucumbers. 
It's everywhere. What should we worry about? Jesus helps us. He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. In a word, Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. Anything. And Jesus, in this little passage we just looked at, he gives us two powerful perspectives that help us be worry-free. Even about things that matter, even about what we would call the essentials of life, food and clothing and shelter. First, Jesus says, you don't have to worry because of how the Father sees you. Look at verse 26 in that passage. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? You matter deeply to God. More, Jesus is saying, than anything else in all creation. You matter more. And he's using birds as an example of I have bird feeders at my house, and on a snowy day, uh, this is not, let me get to this thing right here. This is, this is not my bird feeder, but this is what it looks like. It's like, you know, bird-a-rama, right? They come from everywhere, and they just plunder your, your bird seed. They completely wipe you out. Now, I, I, on a normal week, I feed my birds out there in the backyard once, maybe twice a week, if it, if it, depending on the time of year. They'll wipe me out in a day in a snowstorm. What, what if I fed the birds and didn't feed my kids? Can you get your head around that, Dad? No. That's the stupidest thing ever. Who would feed birds and not feed their kids? That, that is unthinkable. Should a dad care more about feeding birds or fertilizing flowers than caring for his own children? That dad is no dad. If I feed sunflower seeds to the birds twice a week, if you're my kids, you ought to be able to count on three squares a day, okay? for sure. Because my kids matter to me far more than any other of God's critters that I've ever encountered. And Jesus says, that's what it's like with your father. Jesus is saying that in all of creation, only you get to call God father. You are his adopted children. He loves you more than the world. And those passages I just flipped through, let me read them to you. This is the language that God uses to describe his love for his people. It says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather. 
Another place, Isaiah says, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The Bible's full of that kind of language. God calls us the apple of his eye, his treasured possession. St. Augustine said it wonderfully. He said, God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. Because, Jesus says, you are so much more valuable to him. You matter deeply to your father, more than the birds that he feeds, more than the flowers that he grows. No worries. No worries. You matter deeply to your father. So how the father sees us, Jesus says. Slaves worry. And the second thing he says in there is that how, how you see the father, slaves worry. Look back at these verses in chapter, 26, or chapter 6, verse 26 and 30. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than them? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you? O you of little faith. See in my backyard, these birds, they don't have a stash. They don't store up food for the winter. They, they are dependent on God fully, directly. Sometimes he uses me, most of the time he doesn't. God provides. And Jesus sees the Father as lovingly caring for his creation. Not random evolution, but the loving care of a sovereign father who controls the orbit, rotation, and precise location of this spinning ball of a planet. He controls the rainfall, the wind, and the snow. And so much more. Jesus sees God at work and in control of all these matters, making perfect provision even for birds and for flowers. How much more do you, Jesus is saying, how much more than you. You can be sure of even greater care. Verse 31. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The difference between us and unbelievers is the confidence we have in a loving Heavenly Father. This is to set us apart and is central to our witness, a worry-free confidence that our Father loves us more than anything else in this world. He loves us. And that, that takes away our worries. Uh, long time ago, when we were still, I believe at this time, we were still living in, in Texas. We'd gone to visit Steph's parents. 
who were living in Plano, north of Dallas at that time, and uh, they, were in a, they were on the edge of a lot of development. So there was a new subdivision out there with almost no houses. The roads were in, almost no houses. And my oldest son was five. And we were, uh, he was learning how to ride a bike. And what was true of him then is true of him now, and that's whenever he gets in a vehicle, on a vehicle, he wants to know how fast it will go. And, uh, and so at five, man, he's on his bike and he's flying. Absolutely flying. I'm trying to keep up. This little five-year-old just learned how to ride his bike and he's just flying down these subdivision streets. Because it's a new subdivision, you know, there's been some rain and some erosion and some of the gravel washed out of the road and he hit that gravel and he took one of the worst spills I've ever seen. And he comes up, one of those rocks had punctured his upper lip, right above his lip. And he was bleeding everything. You know how face cuts off, mom and dad, right? They bleed. The expression is like a stuck pig. They bleed like crazy. So, man, I'm taking his shirt off and I'm applying it to his face. And we go over to some poor stranger's house and we're ringing the doorbell to get somebody to come get us. And so we can use the phone to call and get a ride to the emergency room. And we get to the emergency room and uh, they're, the doc is fixing to, to patch him up. And of course, um, this is an uncooperative patient, right? <laughs> um, so they put him on a board and they wrap him. So he's laying there on this like little surfboard and he can't move. And then they cover his face with a cloth except for one eye. He can look out through one eye. And, uh, and the thing that helped Daniel through that, other than being strapped to a board, were one, the, the doctor was really creative and he could make a turkey out of a rubber glove, you know, blow it up. And that really, he thought that was the coolest thing ever. But they, they, they left that one eye open and they told me to stay where he could see me. And so the only thing this little guy can see as they're working on his face, immobilized in this strange place, in this strange hospital, is his dad. And that's all he needed to see. The doctors were wise. They knew that all he needed to see was his dad. When you look through the troubles that you are facing, the things that worry you. Who do you see? What kind of God do you see? Do you see a loving Heavenly Father who is in control, who knows your needs, who values you and will care for you and provide for every one of your needs as an expression of His love for you? Jesus is teaching us that's our dad. That's our heavenly father. That's what our God is like. He is our father. Now I'm going to brag about him this morning. Look, let's look at one other passage. Uh, real quickly. This is real familiar to you. It's in Matthew 6. starts in verse 9. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One of the more familiar 
passages in the Bible. But you notice how it starts, how Jesus wants his disciples to pray and who he wants us to pray to. He doesn't teach us to pray our creator, our ruler, not that there's anything wrong with that, our sustainer, giver of life, all those, all those really wonderful things, but he gives us something even more wonderful. He wants us to learn to pray our Father. Our Father. And Jesus is inviting us into his own prayer practice. Really inviting us into his own privilege. Because now we are invited to share in Christ, we are invited to share in the love the Father has for his Son and his adopted children. We are loved just like the Father loves his Son. R.C. Sproul says that in every recorded prayer we have from the lips of Jesus, save one, he calls God Father. And Jesus is inviting us into that kind of relationship with our God. And it is, uh, it is quite a father that he has us pray to. Uh, listen to this catalog of insights about the father we pray to just from the Lord's prayer. We start and we say, our father who art in heaven. Our father is exalted in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Our father's name is worth exalting. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father is a king, is a kingdom. He's reigning in heaven and will one day bring his kingdom fully to this earth and, and his will will be done here as it is in heaven now. Our Father is running heaven now with full obedience and blood. He is king and Lord of heaven. Give us this day, Father, our daily bread. Our Father provides our food. We are right to ask Him for food because as Lord of all creation, as we've already seen, He determines sun and rain and snow and drought and famine. Our Father controls the food supply and He provides for us. We are right to pray for Him to give us our daily bread. He is our provider. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Our Father forgives sins. Our Father forgives our sins. We don't have to carry them around anymore. Your Father in heaven, He's able to forgive your sin fully, forever. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father, He rules over temptation. He is more powerful than evil. When temptation and evil threaten you, remember your Father, He delivers you. He is greater. And that's our dad. That's our Heavenly Father. That's who we pray to. That's who cares for us. That's who watches over us. That's who meets our every need. That's the Father who loves us so. It's not just about bragging rights. This is the God we get to love. 
our Father. A Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. A Father who is incredibly loving. He loves the whole world and all that is in it, even enemies. His children matter to him more than anything in creation. And he knows our needs and meets them for us. He is that and so much more. He is, as we sang earlier, a good, good Father. So the worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song of worship to this Father. And if, if during the, the song, if, if you have a sense that God wants you to know Him better as Father, and you want to come down and pray with someone from your family or someone from your small group, our elders are always available, and we have some women's ministry leaders, if they're here, who are available just to pray with you. They'll be in the front rows, and we'll put them over on this side. If you want one of our leaders to pray with you, they're available to pray with you. Just that you might know God as Father for, for whatever reasons. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe you don't know God as Father. And when we talk about this relationship with God as Father, it's not Father just in terms of Creator. It's, it's Father by virtue that He has adopted us through the work of His Son on the cross to pay for all our sins. We come to know God as Father by the work of His Son on our behalf on the cross. He wants our, our worries and our cares. Come and cast your cares on your Father because He cares for you. So, stand with me. Let's worship. And come for prayer if God is proud of you.